0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the podcast. It should go without saying I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and joining me for this special 50th episode edition. I'm raising the bat. We've done this is our 50th podcast um, on this feed, and some has been some have been memorable, and some have been not so memorable. But we do our best. Joining me, as he does every time, we want to talk footy, and in this finals bye week, which we haven't had in a few years. Um, the week before the finals is Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? G'day,
1: partner. Geez, you've picked off 50 just beautifully there. Just accumulated them over a few years and, um, yeah, haven't broken a sweat.
0: Yeah, very, very, very lots of ones and twos and not many boundaries. Um, I'll take that. But 50, not about. Um, just a bit of bat-raising um, and there we go. Um, kick-off, Cameron. Um, how much fun was last Sunday?
1: Oh, it was magnificent. It was the it was the best home and away game I can remember attending. Um, put the result to one side, um, if you can, I suppose. Uh, it was just magnificent. Like um, those two sides being, you know, relatively up and about is magnificent football, and I don't know whether they have been a whole heap in my lifetime at the same time. Um, so yeah, there, there was just a bit of extra spice in it and, um, magnificent crowd. Actually, both the Collingwood Carlton games this year have been magnificent. Um, the earlier, um, version Collingwood really didn't know what they were yet. And, a, a, uh, a Silvani snap that narrowly missed. Um, my, my heart was in my mouth that game because it just felt like Carlton were, coming and coming, and it was inevitable that if the game went for another minute or two that we were going to get rolled. Um, what's, what's followed is the season where, despite a bunch of close finishes, I actually haven't felt overly nervous a bunch of times um, because, I don't know, whether that's my lack of expectation or, um, or, or our capacity to, to find a way um, and and the belief that the players clearly have sort of transferring to the crowd, but um, yeah, there, there was just I felt we'd come again uh, after that magnificent third quarter from um, a Paddy Cripps inspired Carlton, and um, sure enough, yeah. we we found something, and um, yeah yeah Jamie Elliott's
0: got ice in his veins. Is he the new Robbie Gray? He's like the being um. Played up in the media as the success, the spiritual successor to Robbie Gray, as the clutch king of the AFL, two times this year now, One against yeah, Essendon yeah. and then against Carlton.
1: You take it, don't you? Um, there was—it's been a sort of remarkable. I think someone, someone's spoken about a stat where the last after the siren shots for goal to win the game have all gone through, which is pretty remarkable. Like there's some. There's some clutch players who, uh, you know, getting the ball in their hands at the right time, and uh, Elliott's certainly one of them. That um, he sort of defines what uh, Craig McRae keeps talking about and excelling in in moments. So um, yeah, Billy Elliott's taking his moments, and he's he's had to he's he's knocked off Essendon and Carlton, uh, which is you know that's delirium for any Collingwood
0: person. Um. I'm going to say, as a St Kilda supporter, I wish Robbie Gray all the best in retirement, and he, you know, we won't <laughs> be missing him. I think, I think Sir Swamp put the stat up in the week he announced his retirement that three times um, since 2016, Robbie Gray had either kicked a behind or kicked a goal to take the lead against St Kilda in the fourth quarter for good. So, yeah. including this year, it was his point um, that. Uh, Porto laid up for good in that game. And if St Kilda had beaten Sydney on Sunday, um, both Carlton and St Kilda would have effectively missed the finals by point. So just that Carlton's point happened right at the end. And St Kilda's point happened in round seven in Cairns um, with the humidity at a record 262%.
1: Um, I'd love to, I'd love to revisit that game with you. We did a pod shortly after that one and you were saying the sky's not, the sky's not caving in. St Kilda's going all right. You know, let's not um, let's not worry too much about it. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to revisit that
0: moment because... Um, We're still the last team to have beaten Geelong.
1: <laughs> there so, you go. You might be
0: the last team. Well, the way things are going, um, they're certainly red-hot favourites. Um, let's look at where... I mean... This is, one of, this is my favourite part of the year because we 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 go back over. We, there's a couple of topics that I love, and we go back over this bit, which is we look – thanks to Max Barry at squiggle.com.au, he has his rate, his rate, your ladder, and, and you plug it in, and it tells you how far off you were. Um, <laughs> I boldly suggest Longworth going to make the finals in Norwood, Richmond. Um, I had – GWS and Collingwood at the wrong end of the ladder, 11 spots each over where they both finished, but I've got I've got more on GWS coming. Um, having said that, I had Carlton in ninth, um, which is the only spot on either of our ladders which is absolutely correct. <laughs> um, we had the same top three, which was Melbourne, then Brisbane, then the Western Bulldogs, which weren't too bad. Melbourne finished second and we had them top. But after that, things got very, very shaky indeed. So, uh, for particularly for me, I had Port Adelaide fourth, and and they lost their first five games. I had GWS in fifth, and they finished sixteenth. Um, I also had Essendon in the finals, but then again, so did you. Um, my the, the 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 grade that I got on my ladder was a D minus, otherwise known as no, you can't do grade six, you can't do grade five again, you just, I don't care how bad you were. you just have to be moved up, <laughs> um, we just don't have the, we don't have the resources to keep you at this year level anymore, um, I got one out of the top four and four out of the top eight, um, and I had at least two spots, ten spots away, and also Geelong nine spots away, because I had them in tenth. Um Yours was a C minus, which is, of course, better. You had two of the top four because you had Sydney in fourth. Um, And you had five of the top eight because you had the Cats in there. You had Carlton eighth, so you weren't far wrong off there. You had five spots off by one. Uh, Melbourne, Sydney, Carlton, Gold Coast, and North Melbourne. Um, You didn't have Collingwood too much better than I had them. So you had them in 14th. I had them in 15th. And, of course, they finished fourth. Um we didn't do too bad on the Gold Coast, but uh, you had St. Kilda out of the finals, but we both, I think, had the uh, – they finished 10th. You had them closer, but um, we had them around the, around the mark, and I think we both had Hawthorne last and North Melbourne second last. And, uh, yeah, we had the same bottom three in the same order as well. So um, the only difference was in the middle 12. Um, so there you go. Um, speaking of the line, I just want to bring this up because I haven't got another point, plot another place to put it in the podcast it was a record-breaking season for the for I guess the inequality of the draw I've never seen this before but um basically the most facile sort of just scratch the surface analysis you can do with the difficulty of the draw is you look at the difference between the records, the teams have between the teams they play twice and the teams they play once. I've never seen this before. Three teams went 0 and 10 against their double ups. Wow. One, of was, one of them was GWS. They went 0 and 10 against the teams they played twice. They went 6 and 6 against the teams they played once.
1: That's remarkable. Uh, so give, which us, is a, give us their which double
0: ups. Which was a huge difference. Now, their double ups, I, I have to go somewhere else in my book, just notes everywhere. Um, so I think this is in, I think this is them Brisbane Sydney Frio Carlton and the Western Bulldogs. So yeah, Brisbane Sydney Frio Western Bulldogs um, and Carlton, they're all in the top half of the draw. They're all top mm-hmm. half of the ladder. Um, that's brutal. Um, are also the west coast. North Melbourne and West Coast also went zero and ten, but they barely won any of their other games. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't make too much of a difference. But if you extrapolate the fixture in terms of if just everyone plays each other twice, and you replicate the second the results of the teams they played once, GWS would have finished above Adelaide, and equal with Essendon. Um, Collingwood went ten and zero against their double ups. Yeah, well, and, I had
1: this thought as well because and six know, and coming- six. Right. Yeah. Well, it's yep. interesting because, like, you, you now look at the at the potential finals run for Collingwood, yep. and um, obviously the cats got a hold of yep. us, but um, but we we could lump in the in the side of the draw with Melbourne and Frio, who who were the only two top eight sides we've taken care of, and obviously prior to the beginning of the year, you probably mm. would have penciled in Carlton and Essendon for double victories in their clashes with Collingwood, but we managed to make that happen. So. Mm. Um, there you go.
0: Amazingly, in terms of difference difference in winning percentage between teams you played twice and teams you played once, Collingwood did not have the easiest draw. Yeah, right. So Richmond actually went nine and one against it, and four seven and one against their teams they played only once. So that's a fifty three percent. 50, 52, 53% discrepancy. Having So normally that would be a red flag. GWS did it last year. They had a huge difference between, the you know, their, 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 their result was hugely pumped up by the teams they played twice. Um, and then they won their first final. Um, so I look at that and usually it's a red flag. You think, well, Richmond have had their record bumped up and, they would actually be sort of even with Carlton and Western Bulldogs and St. Kilda on winning percentage if you did the everyone plays each other twice. Um, having said that, I would all I would suggest Richmond are actually my certainties for this weekend. So um, it's funny how things go like that. But just 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 as an aside, a statistical aside. Um the other thing is that I always harp on this every year, but we'll get we'll get to it when we go to the individual finals is the records of the different spots on the ladder in the first weeks of the finals. But um, when we get to the individual finals, we'll get to that one. But I thought that was that point was later related. Um now's the now's the time for the bit that everyone's been waiting for. I'm not gonna leave you going any longer past the 12, 13 minute mark of the podcast. <laughs> um it's time to announce the winner of the two thousand the most prestigious, most coveted award in all of football. The two 2000- thousand 2022 AFL player rating Brownlow, and for the uninitiated, the, the people who might have stuck onto the podcast who started listening for other reasons a couple of months ago, you don't have to worry about that anymore. But thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> um, we we award based on the player ratings a three, two, one, just like Brownlow notes, and this is like this takes all you know, regardless of what you think about the player rating formula. It is just it's just a formula. It doesn't it doesn't have bias. Um doesn't come in with any preconceived ideas other than Ruckman are awesome and key defenders are terrible. And it just chucks out a number. Um it we saw a very, very strong defense from of the of the title by Tuke Miller this year. Very strong. I think he polled more votes this year than last year. Um and with uh, three rounds to go, he was tied for the lead. Um, but um in rounds 21 and 22, he did not poll, and the other man, the man who pipped him, polled four votes across those two rounds. So um, it, it turned into a two-horse race, pretty much close to the end. There was there was some late running made by a couple of people, but they were too far back. Um, but um, the uh, the podium uh, coming in third, Marcus Bond and who did not make, I don't think he made the Australian squad. Um, on 22 votes, he polled 22 votes and, not, and polled nine times. Uh, Toot Miller coming in second with 25 votes, he polled in 10 matches, but the winner this year, and uh, I think would be my pick for the actual Brownlow, despite the fact he's not the favourite, is Clayton Oliver of Melbourne. Um, polled in more than half the games and polled 27 votes. So, um, well done, Clayton, you joined... Other names like Took and Nat Fife and Lockie Neal, um, and I think Dusty won it one year. I think this is the fifth year we've been awarding it, so um, it's been a different person every year. But well done to Clayton Oliver. And it's funny. I think I think you know if the if the umpires are doing the same sort of things as the rest of the awards, we've got a little bit of um, external uh, clarification or. or uh, um, certitude for one of the better term. Like, oh, there's a word there I can't think of, but um, Oliver and Miller have tied for it, like the they tied for the coaches association award, um, and they also t- tied for for the for the ABC Grandstand Player of the Year award. So um, those that that might be your very short priced quinella for the brand low, Oliver and Miller.
1: I was about to say the very same thing, punter, because yeah, they they those two are sort of. Steaming ahead in in most of the awards, and um, uh, you know, the other thing working in Oliver's favour, if if you like Lockie Neal, um, is that absolute drubbing to begin round twenty three, where, um, you know, there's every chance Richmond became certainties in your eyes based off that performance alone, um, which was uh, very poor from Brisbane, and it's hard to imagine Lockie Neal polling a vote in that game, so. If it's as tight as some of the other counts, that could be where uh, Clary edges ahead. But those five winners, us. So um, mm. say so what you like about the AFL ratings, Brownlow, but it's uh, it's picking out some handy types. And yeah, there's something with the uh, Bontempelli, um non-selection, uh, which is which keeps being referenced. I've heard Kane Corns talk about it a little bit, but my understanding is that the Bulldogs didn't nominate him for all of. Um, so.
0: Okay, so the the football club has to put his name forward they don't just
1: yeah. i mean i wasn't across out. that either i i felt like if you you, you can be nominated for the all australian side by playing in the afl um which would would appear to yeah. make <laughs> a lot more sense um but yeah. you know and and he's certainly had a he, he's had a, <laughs> a a lot of people feel he's been harshly judged based on his his actual output um You know, I think most of us feel he was hobbled for a good portion of the year um, and perhaps playing it, you know, slightly below his best. But the output's still very, very good. He still had the capacity to turn games by himself. I think he still kicked the most goals by a midfielder, a pure midfielder for the year. So, um, yeah, I I think you could make a case that perhaps the Bont is judged a little more harshly on his output than um, some of the other fellas in contention.
0: He he destroyed us about two thirds of the way through the year. He was and and he just does it every time. I mean, he is I don't know if it's whether he goes into that game thinking Jack Billings. Um <laughs> I know all the St Killer supporters are probably thinking that at the moment. Um just rounding out that top ten. Uh Petrarca fourth, Cripps fifth, Zach Merritt sixth, Blocky Neal seventh, Shy Bolton eighth. With Jack Crisp in equal eighth and coming in at the top ten, the the player who probably is the AFL player rating Brando loves disproportionately more than anyone else. Um, and I think he's proved this with an I think back to back top ten physics is Taylor Walker of Adelaide. Um he polled fourteen votes in six games. Um all of you know there were seven players who polled in eight who finished in the top three in a game eight times, right? So every one of them polled 19 votes except Jack Sinclair who polled 10.
1: Yeah.
0: Sinclair polled, he was best on ground against Hawthorne in round four and seven other times he got the he got the one vote, which is, reminds me of 05 when Luke Ball polled nine Brownlow votes in eight games. Yeah, um, right. Just yeah, kept might, collecting
1: might be a, might be a ones. Victim of. Um, Sinclair might be a victim of their not being, I don't think you named the, the half back um, in the top 10. So, um, that 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 might just uh, that might be a, a a tiny bias that we could start to track um, with the AFL he, player ratings.
0: Here's your stat of the day, Cameron. This is an absolute, you know, an absolute beauty of a stat. Jack Sinclair's next Brownlow vote will be his first one. He's <laughs> never polled a Brownlow vote, so
1: hard to imagine that carrying on. I, like I think I've noticed him a couple of times, but in in the round one clash with with Collingwood, um, as poor as St Kilda were for a chunk of the night, there was one guy that played four quarters, and I noticed him straight away. And I know you said he's been building beautifully, but I think he's also, um, properly arrived. Um, as far as the, you know, uh, neutral supporter is concerned, this year,
0: I would just I would just I would I would hasten stay away. In your multis. In your I would keep them out of your trifectors or your top fours. I would keep them out of your best. You know, if you've got a multi of of players who who poll the most at a best at, you know, at each club, stay away from blokes who've played 120 games and never polled a brand low vote before, regardless of how good they are. Um if you want some names placed based on the player rating brand lows in terms of some value for those multis, um I think Zach Merritt's added like a uh for Essendon. O- always gamble responsibly, everyone. Um, if you're getting Finlayson at Port Adelaide for better than $10 to poll the most votes at Port Adelaide, I'd think about it. Um, Chad Warner at Sydney would be one i I keep a sneaky eye on.
1: Yeah, um, what's that
0: paying? That would have to be close to favourite. He's been extraordinary. I, I had a brand load too. Open up the tap, Sydney's most votes at Sydney. He's six dollars, so he's something he's third on the line behind Mills and Parker. Um, yeah, well, he needs they're... a $26, so that that also represents value. Um, Finlayson is at a hundred dollars to poll the most at. and don't behind both Rosie Wines, Boat, Houston, butters. Mm. Yep. And if you have a best team, you know, who polls the most in each team multi, and you do not have Luke Davies Uniaki at North Melbourne at a dollar forty, that is forty percent interest on your money. That is free money. He is absolutely polling the most votes at North Melbourne. That is yeah. that is, that is if, if if I was if I was a Simpsons character, I'd be literally lifting up a giant lock right now and say, <laughs> That is your lock of the week. He will poll the most granular votes at North Melbourne. It, he's, it, the, it, he's the wrong. one. You get, you, get mo- you get your money. Yeah. You get your money. get your money back that you paid to you to listen to this podcast. Um, I like this. There's a there's a Brisbane without Lockie Neal, right? And it's humour cluggage at a dollar three. <laughs> 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 That's pretty funny. Load up. Crisp is the, on the first line of betting for Collingwood. Two seventy five
1: has had a couple of years where um gets shot out of a gun to begin the season and is is just clearly our best player through um up to the bye let's say and um uh last year we had Jordan Degoei race home but um but crisp held on for the Copeland and um and this year I mean it, you could you could almost raffle it um because Maynard will get a lot of votes internally uh, Crisp again was sensational in the first half of the year, but I, he, he's dropped off. Perhaps you know, um, even more so, I would say this year. So um, you'll feel safe with that bet. Um, I, I reckon there's a young fella playing half back who who might get a couple of threes and make uh, make things shaky for you. Zach
0: Barrett is a dollar twenty and get the most votes of this, and that's also free money. As far as mm. I mean, Merritt has a. I think Merritt has either well, one or two twenty vote years. Um, he's that's that's safe. That's safe. I would suggest at a dollar twenty. You should be more like a dollar five. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anyone taking votes off him at um, at Essen. Anyway, we will be back next year with another version of the player rating brandlow, and you know, not a great year for Ruckman. The 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 Finlayson is the top ruckman. I guess he played most of the year in the ruck when Port Adelaide didn't really have a better option um, with 13 votes. Wits on 12. Um, Riley O'Brien with 11. Max Gorn only got to 10. And Max Gorn and so did Sean Darcy. And they both had um, finishes that are more at the pointy end. So It's very interesting, the ruck, ruck debate this year, because you
1: could really only have Max Gorn um, in the All Australian team, and it's his sixth blazer, which is quite building something pretty remarkable.
0: We'll go to the All
1: Australian team now. Yeah, great. Right.
0: Um, I guess the ruck is one of the areas that was uh, there wasn't a lot of controversy in the team. To be truthful, um, I was. I mean, I mean, I was very happy that Sinclair made it. Um, so was I. Um, but it, its the one that I—I'm I, actually really impressed that that it, it's as—it's as much of a as looking as a team as I've seen in some time. Is it? I feel like more than a lot of all Australian teams recently, this one would be ready to run out on a park and play game of football against you know, um, the whatever this, the AFL Space Jam equivalent of the Monstars would be. <laughs> um you know you've got a proper lockdown defender in Maynard um you know they all complement each other May Taylor and Stewart are all different types i guess they're a, they're a little small but i'll i'll get to the solution in the team with that but you know um it's a, the, the defense is maybe a little on the undersized but they're versatile and they all play differently um Bolton's a genuine mid mid forward as a half forward, I think Petrak is probably the one, you know, squeezed. But he does get forward and kick goals, so um, that's good. But the 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 position that sort of makes it all jealous, Blixar's on the bench because he backs up. Gone. If you're a little bit short in the defence, he goes back there. If you've got you're playing against a, a a tall forward line. So for me, the only I guess really controversial one from where I was going is I probably would have had Charlie Cameron in ahead of Stengel, but, um, Stengel's body of work, look, his difference between his performances against the good teams and against the not so good teams was pretty stark in terms of statistical output, but, um, well, the good teams can get a
1: hold of Charlie Cameron as well. You know, like, um, it's, uh, I think, you're right in that they could have gone a number of different ways with a couple of those small forwards because even Heaney on paper, um, you know, is, is uh, has uh, arguably had guys that have played better um, or, or statistically look better. But I agree. Like if, if you're sending that team out to play, the the big debate perhaps would be around genuine wingman. Um, or yes, Petrucca doesn't play half forward, but I tell you what. If Petraka starts as your half forward, he'll dominate that position as well. Um,
0: if how many uh, how many genuine wingmen are there in the league though? I think well, I, is, I don't have a problem with Tuke Miller on a wing. I really no, don't. So
1: that it's a neither do I, and it's a really fair point because you need to reward more more midfielders every year um, uh, than you need to consider pure wingmen. Um, but the Wingmen are becoming absolutely vital in good football teams. Um, as you as you kind of cut it through the top four, I can select good wingmen in each of those teams. Um, you know to the point where I think Geelong just have sort of four or five guys that rotate through the wings, and you know, um, when when the analysts are trying to break down what Geelong are doing, they're sort of saying there's. There's at least four or five guys that just seem to be doing whatever they want and and parading around on wings, you know, from Tui to Blitzavs to Mitch Duncan and and these types. Um, Josh Dakos and Steel Side Bottom have been a point of difference for Collingwood with with their entries into forward fifty and and the the way that they roam the wings. And to uh, an extension of that is Will Hoskin Elliott from uh, half forward on one side, um, and Ed Langdon obviously. Uh, redefined the wing role in the twenty twenty one season, and and while he's probably been a little bit down on his output and has been tagged out of certain games, um, uh, you, you know, I, I I do believe that there are there are teams starting to um, drive an advantage from the wing position. So, I remember us talking about this when, um, when Gorn and Grundy both being selected was kind of a little bit out there for an All-Australian team. And and this year you couldn't really make it. I mean, Jared Witts, I'm sure, was a discussion point, but Gorn and Blitzarbs is bang on. Um, You know, it, I think it, during that very small window of two years, you had to pick both Gorn and Grundy and the All-Australian side. There really was no other way to, to slice it, even though um neither of them were great. Um, Forward of the ball at that time, you sort of had to pick them both. Um, mm. uh, I think I think you can make a case that the way football is headed, the pure wingman um, will will start to get a look in um, in in the team at, on at least one side if you're sending that team out to play. But I, you know, again, if I don't think took Miller is going to have a single issue with learning how to play that role. Um, if that's what you're asking him to do in in this side um you know and if if I can pick one player between took Miller and Josh Dakos, I know who I'm picking so um it's uh yeah it, it, I I have no problem with the team on paper and and you can I, I think <laughs> my one issue is with the squad of 44 um but I'll be I'll be showing that uh, that I've uh, only got one eye if I bang on about that for too long.
0: I'm happy to hear it. Who did you, who who, who was your overlooked man Anna Cullingham? So it, go
1: it, back the, and have a was, listen.
0: It was a younger. The young. Yeah.
1: So go back and have a listen to our last footy pod. If you, if you, um if you'd mm. like to put yourself through that kind of torture. And you will hear me <laughs> basically reference what's about to happen with Nick Dakos, and I couldn't have got the timing any better. I said, he's going to start having 45 and threes and he's looking a little bit Gary Ablett junior-ish to me, um, but maybe ahead of the schedule. And he went out uh, within a week or two and had 40 and three against Adelaide. And um, in the back half of, of this year has been, been tagged a couple of times to to only have the output of twenty odd possessions, but <laughs> it's the most freakish. It's the most freakish first year, and I actually feel like for the story, not many people would have had a problem with him certainly being in the squad, but potentially even in the team. Um, uh, I'm not sure who he displaces in the team, but I I I actually feel I I, I mean I love Braden Maynard, and I think he's a sort of a he's my favourite player. And he's um, the spiritual leader at that footy club. And, um, you know, but I, arguably I would say he had a better year last year. Um, so it, it's it's very curious. And I think you probably pick Adam Side in the role that maybe you'd select Dacos for because um, he's that same kind of, you know, uh, lovely, lovely uh Beautiful possessions, and um, you know, he's obviously uh, very quick and plays that kind of similar role, I suppose you'd say. Um, but as a, as a just, squad, just, member- the, just, the,
0: just the point on Adam Saad, it, he had 113 bounces this season, right? Yeah. Saad, second Hind on 56, third Shy Bolton on 37. There's like yeah. no one. Within fifty percent of him, and basically maybe one other player within a third yeah, in that set now. And I don't know how important running bounces are, but that's just that's an incredible discrepancy between him and the next, like the next closest person.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you can't you can't argue with any of the selections, as you say.
0: Um, and yeah, I I think overall, I think it's a I'm un- really un- uncontroversial. It's been in some time. Yeah. Just on final comment on the wingman. It was Hugh McCluggage's fourth squad appearance, and he still hasn't made it. So, yeah. Um, which I think is the record since they've named squads. I, which I think Taylor Walker also joined him, and that's so four squad appearances of that being named in the team. And the flip um, side of that
1: punter is the is the Tom Stewart selection, where he becomes the um, he's been selected now four times in the least amount of games. Mm. Um, which is which I think Swamp pulled up the other day, but if you're going to talk about um, four four squad selections and and zero times in the team, you've, you you kind of got to acknowledge Tom Stewart, who um, goes in the conversation for the AFL MVP for me, which I thought and that there's some controversy. I thought that selection was was really interesting because for for I think and this is no offence to Brayshaw, he is the ultimate meat and potatoes footballer. He will give you everything that he's got. He'll 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 hit every target. He's going to get it 30 to 35 times. But I don't think there's any universe in which he's the most valuable player in the comp.
0: Is it is do you think there's anything more to that? Because obviously that's voted on by the players. The the club the players at each club nominate three players from their own club and then they have to vote I don't know what they do five, four, three, two, one, or something like that, but um, but they can only vote on players from in the final voting from players who are from a different club. So I don't know yeah, what well, the, the
1: the final is, field was.
0: The explanation for that extraordinary.
1: is extraordinary. No, totally, and the final yeah. field was was remarkable in that you know I I would personally I, I remember looking at the TV and going geez that's a good field and you know based on this year I can't really separate Shy Bolton and and Jeremy Cameron and, and, you know, even Clayton Oliver, if you, if, if you're going to hold up Brayshaw and Clayton Oliver, well then you're selecting Oliver, just even if, even if it's just because Clayton Oliver's a couple of years further advanced than the, the, um the brute force that he applies in that Melbourne midfield that has won a premiership. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I, I just looked at it and I went, I don't even know if Andrew Brayshaw is the most valuable player at Fremantle. Um, so I, I think, and it's absolutely no offense intended to him. And it's been interesting to hear some football pundits kind of say that, you know, maybe it's because we don't look at, look hard enough at Fremantle, but, um, if you're talking about the guy that's going to separate a game or, or, you know, move the needle the other way, well, then I can, I can think of a bunch of other guys that are more valuable in that context um, what Jeremy Cameron's done this year in a kind of role that hasn't existed previously is um is just elite. And Shy Bolton is, you know, all of a sudden Richmond people just must be uh so thrilled um that if you are ushering out the the era of dusty that you've that you've got Shy in your team as well.
0: It's a it's a it's a point of consternation for Seagulls supporters because he was drafted uh, after Ben Long, and I'm I I I, I think Shai Bolton landed in almost the perfect situation. Um, you know, he arrives for season twenty seventeen, his first season. He's able to develop at this club. It's just coming in; it's own, winning its first Premiership, and there's just very little pressure on him, and he's able to blossom. So.
1: You know, yeah, I don't I mean, think arriving no at St. Doubt. I don't think arriving
0: at St. Kilda at the same time would have given him provided him the same opportunities. It would have provided a different set of challenges. So no, we can almost almost
1: definitively say that that is the case. But as an outsider looking into St. Kilda, I really like Ben Long. He's not shy Bolton, but I think he's sort of a, like, I think he's a, a, a key to that side. Do I have it wrong?
0: He play, played. He played. A game on Sunday that was so clearly the best game he's ever played AFL level. It was statistically like twice as good as any other game he'd ever played. Any single stat, it was like he he had had twenty disposals in a game once, and he had twenty seven. He would never had ten marks in a game; he had seventeen. Um, it was it was insane, and it was just yeah,
1: he'd be a guy that I'd never judge by the stats, penny dropping sort of that game. That sounds like a remarkable game. Like he's. It, for me, it's the he's just got a bit of mongrel that is. Um, it, it's very important. It's very important. Like you know, I, I hold it's, it's lacking at the Kilda. solid yeah, and it, but it's lacking at most teams. You, you can really look at most lists and go, oh yeah, you're going to get it from this guy, you're going to get it from that guy. And at Collingwood, I go that's Braden Maynard think, and, and Bo McCreary. but I think it's I think he's vital to that team.
0: Having said so that, we just last Friday night we spent two and a half hours having a go at Brisbane confecting aggro so there is a difference there is a
1: difference between Um, affecting aggro and and just and just inhabiting it and not even needing to say anything Some like it's um yeah i just think some players just have it and they and um it's it's not about sledging it's not about um becoming a, a player that you're not it's just about are you naturally going to run through a brick wall and i just reckon that's what Ben Long, if I might
0: have it wrong. Um, you know who's aggro at the moment? I've got to touch on this. It's the Essendon Football Club. <laughs> um, so before we get into the into the four finals, and we know that there aren't many tried and true Essendon supporters in this podcast because we've chased them away. Um, some very interesting discussion that's gone on during the week after everything that's happened. Ben Rutten's gone after two years. Um, one of those was in the final, so he, he didn't last as long as Matthew Knight's. Um I think was there for three years in one final seat one one elimination final. They haven't won a final without Kevin Sheedy coaching them since nineteen sixty eight. And it does seem like, you know, the the, the 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 old hand is back in charge. Um I I just I just don't know how to read this. So I I I think I think backing Essendon to win game Early next season will probably be easy money, but um, in terms of longer sustained success, I don't know that. that The name that's getting floated around right now is Ross Lyon uh, because they've come out and said they want an experienced coach and he's the one who's available. Um, I think Ross Lyon would be good for Essendon. I don't know if Essendon's good for Ross Lyon. Um, from Adolin St Kilda with two clubs where he's, Coached and he's had success, he was also an assistant at Sydney. Very different historical profiles in terms of expectation. Mm. Um, and also, you know, probably considering where they were, time to succeed, although he, he succeeded immediately at Fremantle. Um, but certainly there was no external pressure for him, you know, internal pressure, sorry, for him to turn things around and immediately. Um, I, I just, I mean. There's part of me that rejoices that they're doing this, um, you know, the the club of torment of my childhood. Um, yeah. But, but um, it just it, it just everything about it. I, I just it was it was an unparalleled probably two months of you know at every fork in the road choosing the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Yep. I, I, yeah, I look at it now as well. And I mean, there's nothing like a good year to make people uh, overrate a list and there's nothing like a bad year to sort of do the exact opposite, I suppose. But I don't look at this group now and think, um, well, I I just hear, I hear Essendon people talk about their list and they think it's amazing. And they've thought it was amazing for a long time. Um, uh, And now, now I think that that one year last year, um, made them feel like that next crop of draftees was all they really needed and that, that you know, maybe it was going to be a little Port Adelaide era for them. And um, I just reckon whoever's about to take this job may be looking at a list that's a little bit blah. You know, like um, some of the pieces that that I felt really confident about for them Um uh the the sort of the Ridley's and the Zerk Thatchers and the uh, Harrison Joneses and I I just I don't know where those players are at maybe they're about to break the game open but you know to to look at the Carlton list now um you kind of go geez didn't Michael Voss just land in a really nice spot um because they got five or six nearly best buy position in the AFL, um, in the conversation but, for.
0: you know, you could – yeah. But, I mean, how much of that – just that natural improvement? Michael Voss had uh, two players just absolutely off the top of my head, and one of them is the All-Australian team. But David T didn't have Charlie Koenig or George Hewitt last year. Or Adam no, Chera. Um, or out of Adam Chera. That's three players, and Chera wasn't magnificent. But if you've got Chera and Hewitt in that midfield, along with Cripps and Walsh, you know, it's just – you can make a another... case
1: that he didn't have Cripps either. Mm. This is this is the reinvigorated Patrick Cripps. Um uh, this, this looks like the Patrick Cripps we were thinking was gonna win a couple of Brownlows, you know, absolute minimum, as he tore the game to shreds and picked up votes in a really ordinary team, um, you know, prior to Walsh getting drafted and this and that. But you but you know, I, I think yeah, so, so maybe Cripps and Curnow are the big surprises and Hewitt is a really nice bit of recruiting and Chera as well. And, you know, perhaps their issue moving forward is going to be keeping this group together and salary cap and this and that. But I don't look at Essendon's list and I don't feel there is a best by position in the AFL player on that list. I just, I, I suddenly feel that they're in the soup and whoever takes over has a bit of a task in front of them to uh to make it happen and and bombers fans are it, it, they're just as impatient as Carlton people probably more so but now we're
0: talking about think, yeah go ahead if, if we're talking about actual positions rather than how the team is named with our thing that list of how we how we read the teams on a Thursday night which is the same way it looked 60 years ago um they do have one guy statistically this year who is the best at his position um and that's ruck forward That is it's right yeah but, yeah, but i don't thinking, think
1: but, i don't think there's anyone
0: outside of family who would be absolutely confident that he would replicate that next season that's now, spot that, on. That, is is anybody
1: that might be
0: unfair yeah that might be unfair on him you know but it, it, it's going completely under the radar
1: it's an incredible and shrewd piece of recruiting, and I wish in that moment that Collingwood decided Peter Wright was worth a shot because they got him for Bugger all to clear some salary cap at the suns, and yes. he's been a really nice piece of recruiting, and you know would be an upgrade I feel on 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 one of the tall guys that we play on the forward line. but I don't think anyone's afraid of him, and i suddenly I suddenly feel like. Where last year there was all this optimism and so I put them in my eight and I, you know, I, I did so kind of believing the hype. I just don't know where Essendon are at right now. And it could mm-hmm. be as simple as they need somebody to come in and improve the vibe, which they, I feel like they've been trying to do that um the way that Brisbane were producing aggression on, on the weekend, that's the way I've felt like poor Dyson Heppel has been trying to appear joyous through this last few years at Essendon when I think the club's been in turmoil throughout. Um, and, there's yeah, they might have been able to manufacture some joy there for this a really is- small period, but I think they're in big trouble.
0: Well, Heppel lived through the supplements' kicks. So... Mm. So... Mm. You know, if 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 there's some bloke who's been at Essendon for two years and hasn't lived through it, and is like, when pulls getting them all and gene them up and trying to, he's like, well, I could know that you know this is a put on. You're not genuinely excited. I mean, that's that's unfair on Dyson. You know, I've got I've got any problem with what with him at, at all, really. Um, I you know, in terms of uh, uh, the caliber of person he is, I'd happily have him at my football club, and I think. I think the Gold Coast should be, I think the Gold Coast should be grabbing him and just bring him along and saying, "You can be a leader, but we're not going to give you a title. you know, pressures off. You lead how you want to lead. You can take a bloke under your wing or two blokes or three blokes, but just we're not going to put the pressure on you in terms of your role. We'll just stick you on a halfback flank and you can just organize and do that sort of thing. we do, we want you to we want we want you to come to to that role rather than you know say, here's all these things we need you to do." Right, oh, just I couldn't agree You can relax; thinking. you're off broadway here. We, you know, we won, we won ten games this year, and it's still all opportunity in front of us. So we've got this wonderful young group. Just get your teeth in, and just and maybe that excitement comes. If that that's what I'd be doing if I was the Gold Coast, and I think it'd be the best thing for Heppel. But I think Heppel's shown he's probably much much too loyal, and he's not the only person who's gone through this saga at Essendon who is who has had that fault for want of a better term. Mm. Uh, um, I think the other problem is that I don't know anything about what goes, what's actually going on at Essen. And I think, in terms of the vibe, I think you know they're the sort of they're the sort of the sort of place where you know if you go to a function of the 30-year members of the coterie groups, and you're one of the players who comes up there, you might get told how lazy you are. You know, you might get well, you know, Leon Baker did this in 1984, and how, you know mm. with the inference is how come you're not doing it? And it's just like well, you know. We had an event which was which happened at this football club, which was an inside job, which basically wrecked the joint, and we're, we're still still sort of acting like it didn't happen. Yeah,
1: you're spot on. They they can't they can't quite they can't quite clear the spectre of that. And there's some really great yeah. Essendon people. Like to hear Joe Watson speak to this day, you just go, this is a really really good Essendon person. And I don't think he wants any kind of role at that club. Um, That's an indictment on the place. Um, You know, no doubt he he would feel um, uh, some PTSD from what went on. Uh, You know, he gave his Brownlow back for God's sake. Um, But he's a remarkable lesson in person. He needs to be back in the fray. And it's a, um, yeah, I just... Uh, this is not this is not about Essendon and bashing, but I don't know where they're at. It's been
0: an extraordinary watch. I just can't imagine someone like Ross Lyon coming in there. I, Ross is going to be like either he's not going to go through the process at all because he knows what the situation is now and he thinks I'm not going. I'm not going into that situation. I'll I'll hang out. I've had a crack. Yeah, you know, I'm happy with where I am in terms of how how my record in the game and what I've been able to achieve. You know, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't sit here tossing and turning at night thinking, oh, if I'd done that differently, um, for right or wrong. I mean, you, you know, you, you wouldn't have to walk far to find a St Kilda supporters ran in two to probably think, you know, Ross, you probably should have had Luke Ball on a little bit more in that grand final. But <laughs> um, I don't think Ross thinks about that, and you know, that that's fine. Um, but he might be thinking like, oh, there's, there's only, there's only negative that could happen in terms of me if I go to that football club. But if he gets past that, do you think he's going to get to a point where are like, we're going to offer you the job where Ross is going to be like, yeah, and this is what I want. And I'm not signing unless this happens. Well, this is the cook thing is that I yeah. actually
1: feel like I think for this job um, in, in the market, based off, based off the noise of, of the last few days and his own comment um, and this and that and, um, but I, I think that's I think that's partly due to the fact that Lyon would still like to coach an AFL footy club and is a career coach and was, you know, and was there or thereabouts for a couple of jobs last year, but he's not interested in 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 process. He's not interested in um having to be in the same interview that Adam muse is in. Really. I don't that's the yep. sense I get from Ross Lyon. But I also get the desperation Um, in the air from Essendon who chucked everything at Clarkson in a four-day bid when it became clear that he was very likely to choose North Melbourne and they were and they still had a coach like it's it is absolutely embarrassing what went on there but I think they might go back to the well there and just not really conduct an external review but you know just just off of the I mean I know they've announced their panel I, I know all of that but it just feels like um, Lyon could be second in line in, the, in that sort of Clarkson mould and just get him in, and he doesn't want to process very well. Well, he's still the experienced coach that's out there and that might turn the place around. And I actually feel like that might be a problem for both Ross Lyon and Essendon.
0: Just just a reminder on that panel, Robert Wolves is on that panel. He was on the panel at St Kilda that, hired, that recommended Ross Lyon in 2006. Yeah, that's right. So he's got, he's got an ally in that room. Um, Walls might have been Lyon's first coach. I can't remember exactly when Ross bat- landed on the Fitzroy list, but if it was pre 1986, then Walls would have coached him. And then Walls got him up to Brisbane, I think, in right at the end of his career. I think Ross Lyon was going to go up, went up there and played a couple of games and did his knee, and that was that. So um, yeah. that, 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 those two guys have got some history together. Um, the the specter of Kevin Sheedy just goes all over the top of this. And this is a bloke. I'm on the record. I've got no time for him. I think he's all about Eve. Um, you know, he. You know, when when the time comes and and Kevin shuffles off this mortal coil, there'll be um, a lot of glowing obituaries about his place in the game. And there, there is a. Don't get me wrong. There is a. There is a long uh, CV of. Serious achievement, but I, all, I think all of it is coloured by the fact that it was always there was always something in it for Kevin and for what is essentially the three clubs he really cares about, which was the one he played for, and the two he coached, and you know, I, 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 you know, I don't think he was, I don't, I don't think he always had the, the best interests of the game at heart. So <laughs> I think, I think in this situation, I think he's on there. I wouldn't be surprised if he's agitating for Hurd. I'm on the record as saying that it would just, just be ridiculous. I mean, it would be, it would be, there would be a core of essence supporters for whom this would be a terrible thing to do to them because they obviously have a rational thought. Um, it would prove to all and sundry everywhere on a, a macro level that once you reach a certain level in terms of a career position, then you can't fail. It's impossible to fail. The parachutes never end, the chances are infinite, and there's no, Behaviour that's disqualifying. It, it's just, you know, I, I feel like looking around and when when I hear her name being around, I said, am, "Am I am I actually dreaming? That this is yeah. actually a is actually a serious suggestion coming from people that this guy is just, you know, he'll be better the second time around." Well, if he simply if if there was if they simply knew what they were putting into the players at all times, that would improve it. That's where the bar is at. So. Uh, it's, I it's, just, it's, I, I, can't it, believe. Oh no, it's,
1: it's surely beyond the realms. It the would last... be, it would be the most mental move. Um, but it, it like, it, there's, there's a lot of noise about it. We've talked about like the fact that Apple's been overly loyal. Um, oh, like the bombers surely can't be that loyal to James. Um, and and and, and that would, I mean, we're talking about the fact that they gloss over that um internally, the the mess that that created for their football club. But like this would be evidence that they don't even gloss over it. They're just like, nah, bring him back. Bring him back. That'd
0: be it'd be wild. It would. We'll leave it on that. Um we've got finals this week. We've just had the finals break. It's an it's an awful weekend but I'm on the record it should should not take place. we we completely over. Now, we're talking about this on S again this morning. We're recording this on Saturday evening. We're listening to the B team on Crunch Time this with all due respect to David Burton, who's no B teamer at all. But um, Jared was off, probably different, having a week off. Um, talking about the reason for the pre finals bye. And, you know, let me just say, I, I am a little biased because Ross Lyon leaving half of his team in Perth in the last round of 2013, helped contribute to one of my favourite days ever at the football. Um, we were terrible. We had won four games all year. There were three um, St Kilda players in Justin Kaczynski, Stephen Milne and Jason Blake who were retiring. Um, and they we absolutely flogged them. Jack Stephen and Lee Montagna had 47 disposals each, not <laughs> together. Um, Jared. Jaron Geary had thirty four, um, and despite all that, Jason Blake managed to. Tr- and Jason Black went two hundred games without polling a Brandlow vote. Then polled, finally polled one in his second last season, and then managed to poll snag the one vote in that last game, <laughs> which is my favourite Brandlow medal moment of all time. That doesn't involve talking to Robert. Hart. Is that the? Is that it that was magnificent.
1: Been, um, hit the top of the goalpost.
0: Oh yeah, I mean. Never, never. Uh, that was the other thing I was to mention. Never, ever put it past the umpire because we were eleven or twelve goals up at that stage. Krasinski was the sub, and he had come on because he did. They 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 wheeled him onto his two hundredth game because it was his last game. But it was his two hundredth, and um, he kicked four behinds and he kicked the three and then he kicked that. It was a goal. it Was given a goal and then they reviewed it. And I just remember turning to mum and saying, "Why did they have to do that? Who does that harm?" <laughs> Randall don't care about percentage. They left half their team on the other side of the night. They don't care how much they lose by. Just give him the goal. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They're here for five minutes and that's how long it's. Let's get this right. This is important. We're playing for Sheep Stations. I mean just <laughs> let it go. I remember the umpires if I was if I would been Matthew Pavlich, who really was I think Pavish played, who remember really was captain of Fremantle, I just would have gone on the umpires and say, I, I pay it. Just give him the goal. Can we just get over so we can get back on a plane?
1: Like the Michael Hurley I mean, goal really. the other day. Just give him the goal. Just give him the goal and move on. It's a nice oh, piece well, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So, hey, I'm still in, I'm still in the – as much as I hate the father-son rule, we've still got Matt Maguire sitting there on 99 games. Now we've got a sub. I think we should just re-rookie him. And then the last game next year – we just name him as We just did it for Dean We just name him as the, the mini sub, and he never gets on. And uh, there's, his ga- there's his hundredth. game. there's his hundredth game. No, Matt Mcguire is the goose because that's actually his nickname. And then we get uh, well, well, every St Kilda supporter knows they're changing the father son rule once the first rewalt kid hits sixteen. Then they're changing the rules. That's when they're going to do it.
1: <laughs>
0: that's when they're the going to
1: moaning years and years where all the great St Kilda players had had little girls. You're gonna have a dominant.
0: Well, we've got we we won today, um, and Alice Burke was running around. So we've got two father daughters. And this is this is again the ridiculousness of the rule, because um, you can play any number of games,
1: right? Yeah, that's right,
0: that's right. Yeah, so we've got two father daughters on the St Kilda women's list at the moment. Nathan Burke's daughter, Nathan Burke, played 323 games, was the games record holder at St Kilda for five, four, four, three or four years, right? The other one is Dean Matthews' daughter. Dean Matthews played one game. <laughs> so <laughs> I played. I played yes, play footy with someone. Dean Matthews. Yeah. So that that's that's you know the, the degrees of separation. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I'll, I like it. I'll,
1: I'll, I like I'll... it in the AFLW. I, li- I, I Bring it on. That that one game rule is sensational. I... And then the first um, mother son player.
0: I'd like to bring that on, too. That's going to be magnificent. Can you imagine, like, the Gary McDonald the Ruth Cracknell memes once they – or am I just too old? Or am I just, have I just screamed, I'm actually 55 years old by making a mother and son joke? <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. Um, so this week we've got Thursday Night Football, Brisbane versus Brisbane. Brisbane are a dollar 75 favourites. Friday Night Melbourne and Sydney. Um, Saturday tw- Saturday twilight Geelong versus Collingwood and then Saturday night Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs um, let's go with the games in order um, hard to get enthusiastic about Brisbane after everything we've seen last weekend for the last three years at this spot the only, the only team Brisbane who have managed to beat in a final in Brisbane over the last three years is Richmond
1: mm. in
0: 2020 in this this. This week of the final, for that was a qualifying final. So, um, Richmond, Richmond got talked up for the last three months of the entire season. Even when they went through that little patch where they were just basically giving away a final spot, mm. you get you 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 click on your Twitter feed on a Tuesday to be like, "Oh, Richmond is still dangerous," and I'm just like, but having said that, this just you can't, you cannot. Brisbane are radioactive after last week, aren't they?
1: Uh, I think so, Panna. Um, the caveat there is that, like, we, we I feel like there are games where at the end of the home and away season you can definitively say who's going to win that first final. And then two weeks happen and nothing changes, but everything changes. And I feel like that was a little bit um, the Dogs versus Essendon last year. You know, as as we hit the end of round twenty three, we were pretty confident. I, Essendon were going to do a number on on the dogs, and then something across
0: I, that. I, my memory weeks. serves me correctly. I, I talked up Essendon. There was there was no week. There was no the, the bye was between the prelim and the grand final last year. So.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. All right. So so.
0: Because they had to get everyone into quarantine.
1: Yeah, but I mean, we can go back to the um the previous year. Um, and and Sydney should should by rights have beaten the Giants, and they um, they didn't. You know the Giants found a way, and Toby Green destroyed them. And um, yeah, like I, I just I don't know. I feel like um, they you're right that on paper that feels like just about the easiest game to tip. Um, uh, in the in that the Tigers. Uh, Seem to have found their mojo and just have enough good pieces that are humming along. Tom Lynch being the the absolute in that conversation, who's gone to another level in this last month. Um, you know, and, and it's hard. And it's
0: too. hard. Just going back to the All Australian team, it's hard to argue against Kurnow, Hawkins, and Cameron, but Tom Lynch is stiff to have missed the game. Well, that's because right. I think the only his, way you his last two months has been.
1: Superb, and I'm no the Tom only...
0: Lynch fan. So
1: <laughs> the only way that he's he's form he key forward
0: captain. in the competition at the moment. Yeah, yeah, Um
1: yeah. So yeah, Who's, I mean, who? I,
0: um, yeah, kicked a lazy fifty nine this season.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, I think he he's sort of humming. I think Brisbane's defense has been really poor. Um, but you know, th- this this two weeks allows you a little. Mini boot camps um so there's enough players there's enough high profile players in Brisbane's back half to kind of that can they can lock into a task and find a way and they've certainly got enough prowess on ball to really trouble Richmond um and forward center they're they're missing Rayner, um which is a big loss because he appears to be kind of arriving um but they've got enough players. But there is a difference well between the two
0: sides a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, that's right. So there's enough guys uh, up front for Brisbane that I think you know um, can can be a point of difference for that footy club. Um, but they just they haven't been playing good footy. So you know I think there are enough stories where a team that has limped into the finals has used this week to figure it out. Um, you know, going, even going back to the dogs who who were dreadful. Um, in 2016, as they limped into a final series and just managed to get their list right and, and make a little run, um, on paper, though, it's the Tykes.
0: yeah. I'm, I I, 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 this is the toss up according to the betting, uh, of the round, The one of the closest, uh, closest head to head to closest line. But uh, Richmond are the lock of the week for me, which is, of course, to say they will now get beat, um. <laughs> Friday night, Melbourne, Sydney. Make the case for Sydney. Uh, Sydney have had a tremendous year. You know,
1: I think I think most uh, most people would say that if you're if you're buying shares in a team for this next few years, Sydney are absolutely in the conversation. We could be we could be arriving at um, an era ahead of time. I remember saying that about the Giants. Um, whether they could get good enough quick enough um, when they played that tremendous prelim with the Dogs. Um, And, you know, nothing would surprise me with the Swans this year because they've got talent on every line. Um, They're a remarkable footy club and they, you know, in the thick of a pretty ordinary few weeks for Melbourne, actually pretty ordinary back into the year, um, uh, Sydney sort of, Smashed Melbourne um, at the G as well, so um, they're going to be. But I think the whole the whole final series hinges on whether Melbourne are back or not. If Melbourne are back, then they can they can beat anyone and will beat everyone. Um, and to look at them against Brisbane, you kind of went, yeah, that looked that looked just right. That was they they brutalised Brisbane. And Brisbane had no answers. But they do tend to do that to Brisbane. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i not sure. Uh, I, I wish I knew as definitively as I did last year that Melbourne were going to play the best footy that they could play. But in our last footy pod, I might have got Nick Dacos right, but I got Melbourne completely wrong because I think I said they were as well placed as any team to go undefeated. And they were undefeated at that time, and were
0: about to go on a, a losing streak. Um, two pots ago, it was it was the one we did a third of the way through the season, not two thirds yeah. through the season. Here's why. Here's why Melbourne's going to beat Sydney, and they're going to they're going to win. You don't have to worry about this game. First of all, um, Melbourne are going to d- destroy Sydney at centre clearance. They're just going to destroy them. Melbourne. Sydney lost the set of clearances last week to St. Kilda, 16 to six. Um, that was with Tom Campbell rucking for the majority of the game in this set for St. Kilda, who has played 53 games in 12 seasons. Um, so against Gorn and Jackson and Petrarca and Viney and Oliver, th- this is, this is not a fair fight. Um, the other thing is Ben Brown's going to kick at least four goals. Um, Sydney do not ha- Sydney had a very very good back line as long as the other team doesn't have a six foot six bloke who can catch and kick um their, their their defense is just a little short for that sort of situation so I think I think Brown gets a hold of them he gets he gets plenty of service first use and I think Melbourne win pretty comfortably actually I I All right. the like lot- the line's thirteen and a half points, and I'd be I'd be thinking about Melbourne at that line. Well, I love your
1: confidence because, as I say, I think they hold the key to the finals. And if they do rock up and absolutely bury Sydney, then all bets are off. Like I I, I think their best footy is the best footy. I still haven't seen Geelong's played some extraordinary footy, but I have seen nothing like what Melbourne produced in the finals last year um, uh, from any team. So they hold the key to the final series. And if they turn up and smash Sydney, well, then, you know, they're back. But uh, there's there's a little asterisk there because they were very poor in the back end of the year, like probably five and five or something like that. Um, and they, and there's just been weird shit hovering over that club the entire year, you know, I whether think, it be the, think the, they were, the good actually
0: Go ahead. Yeah, they went eight and three. So they went eight, no, then lost three, I think, and then, or well, maybe lost four. But then they came back after the bite. Let me just have a look.
1: Well, even if you
0: even then even if we
1: reference eight and six, then to to come home eight and three, but <laughs> to include those three losses, um, and to have you know to have Sorry, let ten, a couple no. of games slip, you know, despite having that statistical dominance, like you know, and this is not. Because I'm a Collingwood supporter, that um that game against us, where you know by rights on paper everything you're talking about statistical dominance, um, particularly in clearance and contested possessions, inside fifties, they just the big the big area for improvement for Melbourne all year has been um, connection forward of centre and and Brown's actually had a pretty ordinary year and they really need Tom McDonald back. And Fritsch is a superstar, but he's not going to be that guy that takes catches against the, uh, as you speak about, the the six-foot-six guy who's going to take catches against the Swans. So uh, there's an asterisk. But if they turn up, if they show up, if they connect forward to center, then, yeah, I think Geelong will, will arguably be a bit worried about him.
0: Fair enough. Should So Geelong have won 13 in a row. And they're about to play, play qualifying final against a team with the tenth best percentage in the league. Port Adelaide got it Port Adelaide got six percentage points on Collingwood, but they yeah. won six fewer games. Yeah. Um I don't know what to think about this game because it's almost this is the position that Geelong and Collingwood was it this is the position they were in three years ago. Yeah. Was Geelong top, Collingwood twenty nineteen, Collingwood two quarters and 10 minutes and then didn't score in the last 40 minutes of the game and still won. That game, an insane game. game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That that, that game specifically felt like um, Collingwood was a little bit of a finals sleeping giant. We hadn't produced anything like the kind of football really in 19 that we had through the back end of 2018. But everyone felt like if we could do that, well, then, you know, that we would trouble Geelong. And at the time, we were sort of thinking, Geelong is it has finished top, but are they really that scary, or is it is it just that extra couple of goals they get for playing a bunch of games at Kardinia Park? Um, twenty nineteen does not remind me of twenty twenty two, except that the team that steps out for Geelong would almost have the same names on it on paper, and so we we keep expecting Geelong to slide, um, and and these. Durable, incredible, contested athletes to just sort of pack up a little bit, and they refuse to do that. They're like the Australian um, T20 side that that just won the World Cup. It's, a, it, 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 it's the same old group of dudes, um, you know, with a, with a, with with a little injection here and there in the form of a uh, De Conning or a um, stingle um, you know, uh guys like that that have that have definitely produced some energy for them. But in the largest part, it's it's the guys that, you know, they're killing you um just the way you thought they might. Um and and they're doing it better. They've just improved and they've protected their list and rested guys. We referenced the Ross Lion. It hasn't been as dramatic as that, but it's been, you know, three or four out any particular week. Um and you know and the and the only asterisk hovering over geelong is that they're geelong um so even though it's been a more dominant home and away performance um by them this year the most dominant home and away team that we've ever seen just about um you know uh not this year rather but this last you know 15 years or however long it's been um where they they just continually show up and dominate the home and away season, um, you know they're as they're as well placed as they could ever be. But you know now it's now they they leave Cadinia Park um, full time, and they need to they need to make sure that they can keep doing that against yeah a good opponent every week. And I don't think they've had the toughest draw either. Um, so a couple of, yeah a couple of little question marks, but they no. are the best team in the comp.
0: I'm picking Geelong with no great confidence and I feel like if it's 20 minute mark last quarter and, Ge- and, and Geelong's lead is less than 10 points, then they will hear the footsteps.
1: Yeah. yeah. Everybody does.
0: Not just because of what Collingwood have done this season, but because they're in a final at the MCG and for the, for the first time in a while that anyone's, that anyone's played a final at the MCG. So, um, it'll be interesting. Um, Geelong with no great confidence for me. Um, the last game, this is where we get into a bit of history, Cameron. So, qualifying finals same top team beats the bottom team about three quarters of the time, the higher ranked team beats the lower ranked team about three quarters of the time. Mm. Um, six versus seven game, it's uh, about two-thirds of the time. The coin flip game is the five versus eight, which is Fremantle versus the Western Bulldogs. 12 wins to the team that's finished fifth, 10 wins to the team that's finished eighth, and five of those 10 times the team has been on interstate soil when they've won that game. So Essendon in Perth against Rio in 2003. Port Adelaide at in Melbourne in 2005. Collingwood in Adelaide 2008 Collingwood again in 2020 against west coast and also west Coast in Adelaide in 2017 so you think the bulldogs scraped into the finals but if there's any team whose record over the last decade is just screams this is this this is, this is the team for this moment for this 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 summit this this, this mountain it's the western bulldog isn't it
1: um i like that statistical analogy um but i think three are pretty um i i think the dogs have been go
0: ahead the funny thing is i think so as well (laughs) i just think they're extraordinarily solid they are they're
1: they're very well coached guys that understand what they need to do um across the board um they're, they're they're pretty healthy uh you know they've, they've played the majority of the season without Nat Fife uh it's sort of I think that I think the dogs are a fluky side they're going to need everything to go their way Frio are just going to need to reproduce what they have done in most weeks to get the job done here uh, and and yeah I, I've had this thought recently that um, especially since Sam Darcy's kind of come in and looked very assured at both ends of the footy field. Um, but I think the, I think the next wave for the dogs is actually going to come quite quickly um, and that, that they will be challenging. Um, I think they can challenge for the flag next year. And I think the first round exit this year would be bang on with... Uh, with the the kind of football that they've produced this year in the largest part. They they just look like a first-round exit team or potentially a team that doesn't make it. Like, who's had the better season, Western Bulldogs or Carlton? Like, I know that that's a, that's a 50-50 call, basically, on where they ended on the ladder, but Carlton produced better football at times um, for me, and so I think the Dogs are going to get rolling.
0: I, I mean, Fremantle me beat the Bulldogs at um, the Docklands three weeks ago, so mm. a bit of recent exposed form. Um, really impressed and really happy to see him name the australian squad was Hayden Young, whose uh, second half of the season was extraordinary. Um, mm. Playing off a halfback flanker and just playing really good direct, direct footy. Um, yeah, just, they've got winners on every line. Um, they now have the AFL Players Association MVP, but you Know they got grabbed Will Brody for nothing, he certainly added to that depth in midfield. And that Fife is um icing on the cake, you know. He just slots into a forward pocket and gives them a point of difference up there. And you know, I know when we played them in the middle of the season, um, things weren't looking terribly flash for them about halfway through the game. Um, and they then they you know, they threw Fife in the middle and, and the game changed so, um. That's a wonderful, wonderful um, luxury to have. So, yeah. um, I'm actually, I, I, I think, for going to win, but I wouldn't be surprised um, if the Bulldogs win. But, um, but I think, I think they are a little all duck or no dinner, to be truthful, and we'll know. Well, it's funny we say that. Well, no, ten minutes in because they, you know, this this game six years ago, um, in Perth, um, in a very similar sort of situation, they were terrible for the first ten minutes, and West Coast kicked about two five, I think, and then from that moment on, West West Bulldogs just destroyed them and you know didn't look back until they had both hands on the cup. So, um, it's interesting, but you know I think. You know, we had a couple of games like that last year. We were expecting a response. We were expecting a team to come out firing in the finals. It didn't really happen. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. We will call it a, a, a. We'll wrap it there. Um, we'll we'll speak again Grand Final week, as we always that's do, and talk about. No, no worries. Um, that's it. That's fifty podcasts done. Hey. Thank you um, they said it couldn't be done. Uh, <laughs> um, I might they might they might just be figments of my imagination, but you know, I showed them.
1: Yeah, cop that um, them.
0: It's always a pleasure, Cameron. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cop that um we'll catch you next <laughs> we'll catch you next time on the podcast. So for number fifty one. We can just retake our garden, get to a hundred. We'll see <laughs> you later.